1: Whitehorn and before I get to some beginning things in our topic I wanted to do a shout out for Sola Gratia and they they are a Christian women's apparel shop and they they have Beautiful apparel and accessories and theologically rich truths. Some of their shirts are just really awesome. They have like the five solas, they have It Is Well With My Soul. They, they've got a lot of different ones. And they are offering Theology Gals listeners a discount this week. And I'm going to have all of this in our episode notes, but it, it's Theology Gals 10 would be the discount code. They've got a lot of different colors too. And the style of shirt, I'm supposed to be getting one in the mail soon. The style, I think a, a preferred style for a lot of women. And also do not forget, we still have Theology Gals shirts, which I will also put in the episode notes. And this last week, I listed long sleeve shirts, hoodies, and mugs. So we got more about that. Well, something came up in the group this week and some girls kind of said, maybe you should talk about it. And it's kind of a silly thing, but we've run into it a lot in the group and I see it on Facebook. And that is the use of on Facebook. When you hit like, you can hit just the thumbs up. You can do a heart. You know, I love this post. You can do a a laughing face, like, oh, this is a really funny post. You can do a surprise face and you can do an angry face. And I think most of the time people use those things appropriately. So I want to talk specifically about the angry face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one of the, I'll give an example of the sorts of ways that I think people use this inappropriately. And we've had to say in the group several times, do not do this. It is not charitable. It is not gracious. So for instance, I'll give an example of it. This one happened a long time ago. So a girl posted, my baby was baptized today. And somebody that's a Baptist didn't agree with baptizing babies went and put an angry face. And that's the sort of one that we're like, okay, yeah, that's not appropriate. But the gals in the group, when I did a post saying, don't do this. It's not appropriate. They said, I think we need to tell all of Facebook that. I. It's almost like a passive aggressive thing, the way I look at it, <laughs> you know, or I've seen in a, there's a Calvinism Arminian group, and I'll see like a Calvinist will post a quote that is like, trying to prove Calvinism and someone will put a laugh, a laughing face like, ha ha that doesn't even do what you think it does. You know, and it's, it's not nice. <laughs> so I don't know. Have you seen this or have any thoughts on it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think some of this goes back to, um, we've talked about on other episodes before disagreeing um charitably. It's, it's certainly fine to disagree. And we, we all come to our convictions, on our own, and certainly we have different convictions on different um, things. I mean, your example of baptism, that's a prime example. You know, we have, we have several different um, confessional standards in our group that we use, and one is Baptist, and some are Presbyterian and Reformed, and so obviously we disagree on baptism but the way to disagree on that is to be charitable and i agree with you it's a little passive aggressive and and probably not i think you also said not fruitful it's not going to be fruitful um to simply react in anger to something that you disagree with probably not even going to be fruitful to come on a post and gently say, I disagree when someone is celebrating and rejoicing that that their child was baptized. Um, so we, we should rejoice with one another. Or if we can't do that, probably just let it roll by and and let it go and let it pass.
1: Right. Like we often say in the group, it is possible to keep scrolling.
0: You, know? <laughs> you do not have to attend every fight you're invited to. <laughs>
1: right. And you do not have to proclaim every time you disagree. That's right. I, I was thinking as you were talking, if we had that on Twitter, I can see that being like a huge problem. Like if we had the options on Twitter.
0: yeah, <laughs> Everyone's angry all the time. Right. <laughs>
1: right? Maybe it's wise they do not.
0: (laughs) They, They
1: do not do that. And, you know, I think even going back, I don't believe that we brought this up on our Faith in the Internet episode, but if you're trying to navigate what is appropriate ways to interact online, we really talked about that on the faith and internet episode, because it is okay to disagree there. There are appropriate times. And so if it's a post that is debating a certain issue, let's say, uh, exclusive psalmody, for instance, it's okay to, you know, have gracious, fruitful discussions, but just going by and putting an angry face, like, I don't agree with exclusive psalmody. So I'm just going to put an angry face that you do it. it, It's doesn't, what does that do? (laughs) <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> maybe upsets the person whose post it is. And now one thing we did talk about, though, and there were so many gals who said this happened to me, is that there's times where we accidentally do it. Like there was a serious post once and some a girl was going through something and I didn't I was trying to put like a. I don't know if I was trying to put like a sad face or something and I accidentally put the angry face and I didn't realize it for like an hour. And I was just so humiliated. Like, oh, I hope she didn't think I did that on purpose.
0: <laughs> that would been... Works a little better than the laughy face. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> so maybe we can influence broader Facebook. <laughs> right. Be nice. Uh, that is the moral <laughs> of the story.
0: <laughs> cool it and calm down with the reactions. <laughs> right, right.
1: You, you will survive, and so will the person who's posted as if you do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Since our episode on the book Girl, Wash Your Face, a lot of gals came and said, can you guys just do an episode in general about discernment? Because Girl, Wash Your Face is one of many books that are not so great. We're not going to focus just on on books, but we talked in our group and asked for some suggestions just of things that are Out there in common in American evangelicalism, or I guess around the world evangelicalism that they hear that require some discernment. And so we want to talk about what discernment is, how to be discerning, and then we want to take some of those things and do like we did with Girl Wash Your Face and say, okay, how does this thing compare to the Word of God? Because that's really what discernment is all about. And The thing that I wanted to start with is such a great quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, true discernment means not only distinguishing the right from wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent, and the permanent from the transient. And yes, it means distinguishing between the good and the better and even between the better and the best. And we think of the quote by Spurgeon that discernment is the difference between right and almost right. Discernment has different definitions if you look online. And and I've seen jud- judging well being a definition, um, mm-hmm. judging the difference between right and wrong, truth and error. This is what discernment is. But I think one, one thing that... I run into, and I believe you've run into, Angela, and I'd really like you to speak on this, is some people say, well, discernment, that's, that's just a spiritual gift, isn't it? Um, I mean, does everybody have discernment, or I thought just some people
0: have discernment? Right, I've definitely heard that. And the truth is that we're all called to discernment. In fact, you know, sometimes um, I'll even hear discernment disparaged as not loving. And, you know, maybe people don't want to divide truth from error because it seems um, uncaring, unloving. Um, I know that you and I talked with someone this past week who felt that way about our Girl Wash Your Face review. And you know what I'd say about that is that we are actually commanded in Scripture um, as believers many times to grow up, and that means that we don't remain children, we don't remain ignorant of the truth, and we we study the truth and we do divide truth from error. Second Peter three eighteen tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a command, and that is not just for certain people. Um, That's something that we are all to do as believers. And the Apostle Paul told us in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he's, he's telling the church that his prayer for them is that love would abound, but he says he wants it to abound with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Right there, that phrase, approve what is excellent, tells us that there are things that are not excellent and that we should not be approving them. And he goes on and says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This is the result uh, that we can expect out of growing up with knowledge and discernment, approving what is excellent. Um, And so what I would say about you know, discernment is just a spiritual gift for some people. I would say that that is definitely not true. We are all called to discernment because we are all called to grow up into the head who is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And
1: that's that's a wonderful, wonderful point. Do you think that there is a difference between the discernment that each of us are called to? And we're going to go through so many passages tonight that we see that are to the whole church and the discernment that that's talked about in some of the spiritual gift passages.
0: Yes, so um, the discernment that's li- listed as a spiritual gift is discerning of the spirits. It's the ability to tell if a teaching. So during this period of time in the church, there was ongoing prophecy. There was um, there were apostles writing down scripture, hearing directly from from the the Lord, receiving new revelation, and so the gift of discernment was to be able to tell if a teaching was from Satan, man, or from God. And that is a special spiritual gift that is different from the discernment that we're all called to, which is to know the word of God that we now have because the canon is closed. That's available to all of us. We we no longer have to rely on a special person who's got it revealed to them by God. Yes, this is the truth. Bingo, write it down. We now have the Word of God already completed. The canon is closed. We can all study the Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy to continue in what you have learned from childhood, and he's talking about his learning in the scripture. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. We all have that available to us because we do have the written word of God. We can study it. We can know the truth. And that is how we grow in discernment now.
1: One of the definitions that I found was the ability to make discriminating judgments. Yes. And I think one thing that we have that was not the case in the early churches is we have the entire counsel of God and the word of God. That's right. We have the completed canon, which some of it had not even been written yet. And so the way that we discern is by knowing the word of God. And we see the Bereans as a great example of this, that they wanted to make sure that the things that were being taught lined up with the word of God. And with everything that we do, books that we read and maybe online pastors we're listening to we we need to make sure that what we're being taught lines up with the word of god and i think one of the reasons that there may be a lack of discernment is because there is a lack of the knowledge of god's word that we're not studying the word of god we don't know the word of god like we ought
0: absolutely i think that's a fantastic point and i think that this is Something that's really important, a really important part of staying active in our church and being a part of the ordinary means of grace, receiving the ministry of the word every week, and then staying in the word ourselves. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the teachers and the pastors, the offices of the church that were given to the church by the Lord as a gift. It says they're a gift, and that the result is that. We are built up. We, the church, are built up. And it says that we will be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's what we get by being built up in the scripture. So that's how we know that we need to stay in the word and know the truth from the word so that we can spot the fake.
1: And, you know, we have so many passages. We won't get to all of them tonight, but a couple that really stuck out to me. Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And even in Hosea 14, 9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them for the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous will walk in them, but trans- transgressors will stumble in them. And the the other thing is, I believe, as we're being sanctified, Discernment, it even points to in several passages that discernment, we discern things by comparing them to the Word of God, but also because of the Spirit's work in our lives, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The reason that we have understanding of God's word is because of the work that he does in our lives. A non-Christian, here's a passage, they're, they're not going to have the understanding that the Christian will have of that passage because of the Spirit's work in the Christian's life. So we we already kind of talked about being discerning and the importance of knowing the word of God. There's so much out there online and it's so important to know just because something is called Christian does not mean it's Christian. We found that out with the book Girl Wash Your Face. And that's why it's important to be discerning. In Psalm one nineteen sixty six, it says, "Teach me good judgment, knowledge, for I believe in your commandments." So, there is this theme of, of judging what is, what is true and false, what is good and and not good. But the way that we know those things is not because we're following our heart and we feel good about them, but mm-hmm. because of our knowledge of the Word of God. And if you're not sure, look to the Word of God.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. Um, I have a couple thoughts. Backing up to the Colossians 2.8 that you read just a minute ago, that verse starts with, see to it that no one takes you captive. See to it. It's something we're actively doing. It's not something that happens on accident. We see to it. We we get on the job of being discerning by learning the word of God, and then secondly, you talked about that just because something is called Christian doesn't mean that it's consistent with God's word. I'm brought back to um, just a, just a moment ago. I was talking about Second Timothy chapter three verses fourteen and fifteen, but if we back up into verses twelve and thirteen, it talks about indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and be, being deceived. It's a very interesting concept, this idea of going on. its um, I've, I've done a little study on just that little phrase, and it's talking about advancement, progress, proceeding. They move straight on through the truth and go beyond. And this passage is talking about how that that is an indicator of a deceiver, somebody who is deceiving and being deceived. It's very, very similar to the concept that's told to Timothy, to continue in what you have learned, stay, abide, abide in the truth. Second John verses 7 through 11 tell us about abiding in the teaching. And so this is something that is an indicator when something calls itself Christian but it's going beyond, it's moving through the truth and on into something else that's not the truth, that's telling you this is not actually Christian it's not consistent with God's word and it needs to be avoided and set aside
1: right and and that's why we need to be discerning so that we can recognize those things so that we can recognize when something is contrary to the Word of God mm-hmm. so that we can recognize what is truth and what is error there's so many things that we're hit with I think just go online go on Twitter mm-hmm And you'll see quotes and, you know, we do a yeah about that segment where we look at different quotes and we say, is this really consistent with the word of God? And a lot of things are done in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ, but they are not necessarily consistent with the word of God. And this is why it is so, so important to know the Word of God, to be studying the Word of God, to know what it says so that we recognize those things when we're hit with them.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk for a second about why the Word of God is worthy to be our standard. Why do we go to it? Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love this verse because it's telling me that the the scripture itself is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we know that most of what's out there for us to consume in terms of writing, entertainment, um, things that are marketed directly as Christian— those have come from someone's thoughts and intentions from their heart. And the scripture tells us itself, I am good for helping you judge whether this is worthy.
1: And and that I think is such an important point because it does point to right in the word of God, the power of the word of God, like you just just read from from Hebrews 4. I mean, this is it it is powerful. I think sometimes I, I see often in things that are really lacking discernment is that they're trying to go beyond the word of God
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, or they don't have a correct understanding of the word of God. A lot of times you'll see, I don't know if they are people that call themselves Christians necessarily or not, but people will say things like, well, Jesus is love. He wouldn't have judged. You just go read the gospels, <laughs> come back and tell me. <laughs> Right, Um, Love does not mean, like I've said before, that we all sit around and sing kumbaya and never deal with sin, never deal with with bad doctrine. That's not what love is. In fact, love is often displayed in confronting our brother of sin, in um, calling out false doctrine. There are appropriate times and ways to do that, and we do it because of our love for those people.
0: Absolutely, and to the the objection that discernment is unloving, again, I, I point that, that thought back to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, where the Apostle Paul is telling the Philippians, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He's very concerned with them having more and more love, but the very next phrase, with knowledge and all discernment. These two are not pitted against one another they are harmonized. They go hand in hand. And so allowing falsehood to to remain in our midst, in the body, in our own minds, it's not loving. Loving thing to do is to discern, focus on the truth, on the word of God, and remove error and remove falsehood from what we are Focusing on.
1: I think that's actually a good segue to the next point that we wanted to talk about. I've heard this so many times in our group, I've heard it from so many different people that there are people who focus on discernment, but they don't really do it in the most loving way. So there's people out there, you know, they're like on a witch hunt on Facebook to find all the bad doctrine and make sure to tell you that you're a heretic. Because you could dare to believe this thing over here. And this is why I think it's really important to remember that love of God and our brother is our motivation for discerning, is our motivation for judging if they're in unrepentant sin. Even though we are called to judge and be discerning, we are also called to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, guide, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We, we are still called to those even when we discern. So uh, being on a witch hunt, and I think sometimes people see people out there on social media that it's almost like they're just trying to destroy these people that are teaching false doctrine. Instead of, let's pray for that person's repentance. Let's pray that that person sees their error, because we love them and we want them to embrace the truth and know the truth of God's word. Have you seen some of that, Angela? Because I know oh, you've been oh, in some different groups than oh, I've definitely. been in.
0: Um, and I think that this is sort of a an easy thing to fall into, especially if you've been um, a part of a kind of church or even a cult where a false gospel gospel was preached and you have come out of that and understood the gospel and... Are growing in the truth. I think that it is sort of a natural thing that sometimes people go through to be to have a period of time really, really fixated on heresy hunting and looking for heretics everywhere. And I, I think what I would say about that is that it's really, really important to move through that and get get into the Word, get into studying the truth rather than spending so much time looking at falsehood. Grow in the truth. Because the way that you spot a fake is by knowing the, tr- the, the authentic. And then the fake just stands out and you can see that and set it aside rather than spending all of our time focusing on, on falsehoods. Another thing that I think about with, with this particular topic is discerning the discerners. Um, there, there's a lot of discernment, so-called discernment ministries on the internet, and they come in all shapes and sizes, all styles. And I think it's really important for us to realize, and and this is sort of growing in mature, maturity in discernment itself, is to recognize sometimes... Um, The tone, the motive, what's going on, um, whether or not people are telling the truth, actually, or it's turned into gossip. There are discernment ministries out there that are not worthy of your following. They are not worthy of you reading because they're not telling the truth or they're being uh, extremely sharp in the way that they do um, present what they've found and, and lacking grace and gentleness it's it, it's just important to take a look at these discernment ministries and really consider is the truth being told is it being told in a kind and gentle way now there there may be times to be sharp but to be sure it's not every single time all the time and so um if if that's all that there is present i think that's That's worth a question. And I'll say this too. I've seen so-called discernment ministries shared in groups that I'm in. And when I go to track it down and take a look at, is this a reliable source? It's run by atheists. So take a look at what's being shared and and given to you as, oh, this is discernment. This This is what this page says about that teacher. Not every discernment ministry out there really is out there to build up the church and and help the church. So we just need to be discerning about the discerners. And
1: I think that it goes back to what we talked about on the faith in the Internet episode. Is it fruitful? You know, are we just making a bunch of enemies or is it fruitful? My husband and I went through a phase, uh, you know, we we're newly reformed and learning all kinds of theology where we became hypercritical. And yeah. there came a point where we were really, really convicted about the, the way that we had become. I mean, to the point that we were just looking for bad doctrine behind every corner. I mean, we, we were looking, we had the magnifying glass out. We were making sure our pastor wasn't (laughs) saying something wrong on Sunday morning. I mean, to the point that we started saying, we're not even listening to the sermon to be edified. We're listening to the sermon to see what might be wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And it, it was not a fruitful time in our lives. And when we talked on the Faith in the Internet episode about asking yourself, is this fruitful? You know, when we talked about the book Girl, Wash Your Face, we really wanted to approach it not in a mean, we're going to attack the author way, but to say, okay, let's really look at at what is in this book next to the Word of God. And we really sought to be gracious. Now we know some people were still upset with us, and even when you are discerning in the right, loving and gracious way, there will probably still be people that are unhappy with you. But I think it's important to remember so many different things that scripture does call us to, to not have anger, to not slander, to not have bitterness. And you you said a couple times, discerning the discerners. And I'm going to link in the episode notes, just a wonderful podcast episode on this. And I can't recommended enough. It's from Tyler Vela, who we've had on our podcast a couple times from the Freed Thinker podcast. And he did a podcast called Discerning the Discerners. And it was so good. It was so encouraging to me. I've listened to it a few times because it's been a good reminder to me when I start seeing that my attitude isn't so great. But he really encouraged so many of those things that the Word of God calls us to when we're being discerning.
0: I think it's also important um, to, when we're talking about, you know, you were just talking about being hypercritical. And I think that um, I, I definitely relate to that. And I'm sure that, that we have lots of listeners who can relate to that. So I think it bears saying that, you know, a lot of discernment, one way that we can help ourselves to step out of that is to really, really control ourselves to thinking about uh, primary doctrines rather than secondary. You know, we're not, we're not finding a false teacher just because we found a pastor that serves grape juice for the Lord's Supper instead of wine. So it's just very important to um, remember that there are secondary doctrines that should not be elevated to the level of the kinds of call outs that are appropriate when someone is preaching a false gospel and a false Christ.
1: Right. One of the things we've talked about before, and I know we have a lot of new listeners to our shows that they may not have heard when we talked about this before, but is understanding what truly heresy is. We often see heresy thrown out. and People are called heretics all over the place online. And it's good to sometimes remember what, what heresy is. And heresy are things contrary to the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. And so that is things like the Trinity and justification by faith alone. These are essential doctrines of the Christian faith, the deity of Christ. And there's a lot more. If you want to get a good feel of those essential doctrines, read through the Apostles' Creed, read through the Nicene Creed, because that's kind of a good primer on essential doctrines. But it's important to remember essential doctrines versus things which are secondary issues and I see very often where these secondary issues are elevated to primary doctrinal issues. So eschatology is a good example of that. In my own church, there are amillennialists, postmillennialists, and that, that's okay. Even, even within Reformed churches that hold to the same confessions, you'll find people that differ on eschatology. You know, if somebody doesn't have the same eschatological view as you, they're not a heretic. Now, <laughs> right. There are there are eschatology views which are considered heresy like full preterism. So I'm not saying that there aren't those, but there are acceptable views within orthodox Christianity where we can differ. And it's important to remember those. We could spend all day long, (laughs) we could spend the rest (laughs) of our lives discerning the secondary issues.
0: Right. I want to back up just a little bit to you. We're talking about taking a look at the historic creeds and I'll add the historic confessions. Those are so helpful in um, showing us what orthodoxy is. It's, It's a great way to see the summary of things that are that are essential. And of course, everything in in our Reformed Confessions is not essential. Um, That's why you were talking about the creeds. But another thing I want to add on to that list that I think is extremely helpful, um, at least it's been very helpful to me, is studying church history because most false teaching that you are going to come across today, and I'll go so far as to say probably all of it, I haven't yet come across something that was actually new. Pretty much everything that you're going to come across that is a false teaching has already been dealt with by the church in history, and it's been amazing to me learning church history and taking a look at, at what some of these councils have said in response to particular false teachings, and some of it just reads like it was written yesterday, to things that are going on in the church today. It's amazing, and it's very, very helpful once you start seeing all of these old heresies and realizing, well, people say that stuff today, and it's just recycled. It kind of helps you be able to spot those things as they get snuck in here and there.
1: Right. You take something like Arianism or Pelagianism, it Mm -hmm.
0: might be. Repackaged
1: today and be slightly different. Yeah. But it is still the same heresy. And you're right. I think most of them, if not all, have already been deemed heresy throughout church history. We're not making stuff up and saying these are what we think are the essential doctrines and here's the ones that we think are secondary. There's a long history throughout Orthodox Christianity of of those two things and which things are seen as primary and which things are seen as secondary. I want to take just a little bit. I don't know how many we'll get to for time's sake, but some of the gals really wanted us to just respond to a few things that are very typical out on the internet where they've found themselves needed to be discerning. And this is things that they hear from people who are confessing Christians And we just wanted to look at some of these different statements. They're primarily things um, which you'll see on Facebook or different things that you'll hear. And the first one, and I've heard this one, I've heard this one for years, and that is don't put God in a box. When I've heard it, it's often accompanied by a false doctrine, So if I say, well, I do not believe that the speaking of tongues is ecstatic utterances, which are to be practiced today, they might say, you're putting God in a box. Or if I say that God does not work that way, like one that somebody said that to me is, I do not believe that God speaks to us in private messages outside of the word of God. He doesn't give me personal revelations like, you know, buy a new pair of shoes today or whatever the case may be. And people will say, you're putting God in a box. If God wants to speak to someone, he can speak to
0: someone. So, And what I would say about this is that, first of all, the underlying premise here is that God is unlimited. He does whatever he wants. And there is a sense in in, in which, of course, we believe that that's true. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. However, there are things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. He doesn't change. He's not the author of sin or evil. So when people say, don't put God in a box, they're usually trying to say, say that to bolster the position that they're taking. Um, and this the second thing that I would say about not putting God in a box is that I, I agree with you. I very often have heard that as it relates to things like like ongoing revelation or tongues. Um, that that statement is used to say, um well god can do whatever he wants and we of course believe god put himself in a box called the scripture the word of god that is h- how he deemed to reveal himself to us and to condescend to us through his son and through the scripture and so that is what he does to show his love to us and interact with us it's it's i think of it as not a bad thing to say put in a box, but actually a wonderful thing, that He he would distill His character down to this Word to us so that we can, finite as we are, begin to understand Him a little. I find that amazing, actually, not something that I would um, want to speak against.
1: And I'm comforted by it because I know that the things that are in the Word of God are true that God has told us how he's going to save us, how he interacts with his people. And I can trust that those things are true because as you pointed out, God is not a liar. And I was looking at Titus two one. Paul exhorts Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's right. So when we talk about who God is, it is based on sound doctrine from the word of God. That is who God is. So yes, he is in a box of sorts that he created. That's right. He gave us his word. He says, this is who I am. This is who you are. And this is how I interact with my people. We're given so many different things. And so to say, don't put God in a box because you want him to do something that's not in his word. That is not what we're called to, to define God the way that we want him to be.
0: Absolutely. I, I think what we're talking about right now relates very much um, to a quote that you've got here. And I know a lot of people are familiar now with a book called Jesus Calling, but uh, the author of Jesus Calling, Sarah Young, um, this is the publisher description of that book. After many years of writing her own words in her prayer journal, Mish missionary Sarah Young decided to be more attentive to the Savior's voice and begin listening for what he was saying. So with pen in hand, she embarked on a journey that forever changed her and many others around the world. These powerful pages are the words and scriptures Jesus lovingly laid on her heart. These powerful pages are the words and scriptures Jesus lovingly laid on her heart. That is To me, very disturbing. It is making the claim that what Sarah Young has written down is on par with Scripture. And this, I would say, is a perfect example. So talking about discernment, going back to the Word of God, um, I talked about 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, that going on, going beyond, and, and in 14 and 15 where Paul tells Timothy to continue in what you have learned don't go beyond don't consider it progress to leave behind what is already true in god's word and unfortunately this description here is is doing exactly that it's considering it progress to move beyond what we already have in God's word. And so discernment would tell us this doesn't match with what the scripture tells us we should be doing. And so it should be rejected.
1: Right. It, it points to if you believe that Sarah is writing words right from the Lord, that writing words through her like the Lord did with those that penned the scriptures, then that would also mean that the word of God is not sufficient that we need extra words from God. Sarah Young actually said, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I want to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. The word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. It gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And we do not need things outside of that. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Again in Second Timothy chapter three, maybe just go read Second Timothy
1: chapter three, the whole chapter, right, the whole chapter, because I have some of the verse You did
0: some of the verses, and I had some, yeah, yeah,
1: seventeen written down.
0: It says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." And in my Bible, I have complete underlined and equipped underlined. Teaching, reproving, correcting, and training via the scripture, it leaves me complete. I'm not lacking. I don't need more. I have everything that I need. It says equipped for every good work.
1: And you know, there's actually not a category in scripture. While I know it's become very popular to think that God speaks to us outside of scripture, there's nothing in the word of God that says we should be looking for private revelations from the Lord. We did a whole episode on this. I'll link in the episode notes called private revelation in the will of God. And so you have situations where a guy thinks that God told him to marry this girl or whatever the situation may be that that's not something in scripture we're told to look for. And when God did speak to people throughout scripture, it was a big deal. It was for the benefit of, of the entire church. It wasn't little private revelations they were looking for and then heard. God came and he spoke. You know, it wasn't like you right. want to hear him if you listen. You know, there's a lot of talk like you have to listen for him to actually hear him. I think of God, if if that's one of the ways that the Lord worked, if He wanted to speak, we'd hear him whether we we're listening for it or not.
0: I I think that that's true. I think there are some Old Testament saints who could corroborate that. Right. We can
1: think of some of those examples throughout Scripture. So what do you think of this idea? And Christians say it too. I've seen it. You just need to follow your heart.
0: I think that... Jeremiah 17, 9 tells me that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? It's a rhetorical. I, you should include yourself in who can understand it. It's, it's very hard to know um, what is coming out of our heart, whether it is true or whether it's deceitful, because our hearts do manufacture a lot of deceitful things. And um, so I think that following our heart is, is certainly not what the Word of God tells us to do. It, it, it's not what we are to be guided by. Um, we are to be guided by the Scripture. We just finished saying the Scripture is what makes me complete and equipped for every good work. The Scripture tells me, Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what I need to know be just, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. I I don't need to follow my heart, spend uh, lots of energy trying to understand what do I want? What does my heart want? The Bible has told me what what I should be doing and what my desires should be. And I need to work on orienting my desires towards what the Lord has for me.
1: Absolutely. And one thing I think when somebody says, follow your heart, what they mean is follow what you feel. But yeah. one thing I've noticed is that it's also done at the expense of sound doctrine. So but it's almost like, well, I feel like this is the right thing to do. I had somebody tell me recently a story of somebody that said, I really feel like this is what God wants me to do. And it was something completely contrary to scripture. And this person mm-hmm, told mm-hmm. her friend uh, God doesn't tell you to do things contrary to scripture. And right, that right. Is just sure that the, that was the right thing for them to do. And so it's so important to make sure that our decisions line up with the word of God. Now, if, if you have a decision to make, let's say you're trying to buy a new house and it's between two and they're both in your price range there's no red flags with either one guess what you can buy the one you want to you know right. if you're using wisdom there are times where we can just do it just do what we need to do it's not contrary to god's word it's a wise decision either way so there are things like that but following our hearts is really is really not a biblical principle following the word of god and what what he, his will for us is and obedience. And that, that's what we are supposed to do. Okay. This is a really popular one. And I, this is so popular. I hear it all the time. I see it on Twitter. You shouldn't judge. And they like to use Matthew seven, which says, judge not that you may, that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure." you use it will be measured to you and i see people using that like i saw a conversation recently on twitter a christian who believes that homosexuality is wrong and somebody from the lgbt community saying you're judging doesn't doesn't your god say not to judge and you're judging me you've right. probably seen that one around too <laughs>
0: Yes. And about this, I would say that we need to take the whole counsel of God, and we also need to understand um, the context of this scripture. Amen. And it, it's not talking about speaking against sin, encouraging right. one another um, in holiness. It's not speaking against that. And and so, this scripture is really not talking about encouraging holiness um, with one another or pointing out sin, gently correcting a brother. In fact, we know we're called to help one another and correct one another. Um, in fact, in First Corinthians um, chapter six, the Bible talks about that the Lord's people will judge the world. Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world. Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? It it directly is telling us that we are to be judging certain things. And of course, we know that sin, right and wrong, things that are very clear in the word of God, those are things that we are to be judging.
1: And also, I think it's important to understand the whole context. What follows from that passage says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how do you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. And Calvin says something very interesting in his commentary. I thought this was so helpful. He says, This is depraved eagerness for biting, censuring, and slandering is restrained by Christ when he says judge not. It is not necessary that believers should become blind and perceive nothing, but only that they should refrain from an undue eagerness to judge. For otherwise, the proper bounds of rigor will be exceeded by every man who desires to pass sentence on his brethren. So, It's not saying we should just all be neutral and not offer any judgments. And then, as Angela was saying, when you look at the whole counsel of God and the times that we're supposed to judge whether a prophet is false or true, we're supposed to judge if our brother is in unrepentant sin. There are appropriate kinds of judging. And there are loving kinds of judging, like we were talking about before. If my brother is in sin it would not be loving for me to just, okay, I'm not going to judge you for it. If they're confessing to be a Christian and and partaking of the Lord's Supper on Sundays and things like that. And that's why the Lord even gives us a way of dealing with our brother's unrepentant sin from Matthew 18. Amen. So for time, we'll just do a couple of more. Somebody posted something, and this was from a church. God is not interested in your elimination, but your elevation. God is in the elevation business. And I think what that means is, you know, God's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to elevate you.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, I think what I would say about that is that God is in the redemption business, and He is concerned with... Um, Drawing sinners to himself and saving a people for his glory, and that is really not about my elevation, that's about his glory, right? I keep thinking of
1: the first question of the Westminster Catechism what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? We should be praising the Lord who desires us to worship Him and elevating Him, even the right. good that is in us. Is because of what he's done in our life. First Chronicles twenty nine, eleven and twelve says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heavens and on in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength so I, I guess you could literally say he elevates us in in the way that we're dead in our trespasses and sins and he makes us alive with Christ so there maybe is that aspect but i don't think that that's specifically what this is talking about it's not god's not going to destroy you he's going to make you great but even in the right. way that he does give us strength and and make us good that what we do in response to that is we glorify him, we worship him.
0: Exactly is done. And I keep thinking as we're talking about this one. Um, my church right now is um, in the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and it's been so great. Our pastor has really brought out a pattern that's in so many of the passages, um, and and explicitly stated in a lot of them that the last will be first, and the first will be last, and that Jesus Christ came to serve not to be served. And it's, it's an interesting paradox for us, really. Um, if you want to be great, make yourself low. Don't elevate yourself. And it's, it's just really contrary to what we want and what our um, deceitful hearts long for. <laughs> and that's, I think, why this little um, blip God is not interested in your elimination, but your elevation. I I think that's why something like this speaks to people. It's because we're already pre-wired to want our own greatness.
1: That's a wonderful point. So one of the ones I do not want to neglect to get to, because I know these have been popular probably like the last 10 years or so, and that is these heaven tourism books. And this was one that I had not heard of before. You know, I think we've Heard of? Um, I can't even think of the names anymore. But there's been a couple of popular ones, especially with children who said that they visited heaven when they were in surgery. But there's, if you look on YouTube, I'm not really telling you to look on YouTube, but there's lots of stories, <laughs> of people who said that they died and they went to heaven or they went to hell. And this, this is a book called Heaven Is Real and Fun. And I'm going to read just a blurb from it. Uh, She says, since 1988, the Holy Spirit has been taking me to heaven. Jesus would show me various fun places and allowed me to do fun things. I asked, why was he showing me these places? And she says, daddy slash God said, because people think all they do here is float around wearing diapers, eating grapes. Or doing nothing but bowing before me. I have planned for each person in detail what makes them happy to be here with me. So you are to tell them heaven is real and fun and Jesus is coming soon. So have people really visited heaven? Is this some
0: is this a thing? <laughs> yeah, this is not a thing. <laughs> yeah, about that. Um, right. And so, and some of what's being said here in this quote is directly contrary to the word of God. So we know for certain that God did not tell a person you are to tell them heaven is real and fun and Jesus is coming. God did not give that message to someone. We know that this is not true because what's being described here in, in heaven is, is not, not what we know from the word of God. Right, exactly.
1: And there's no indication that people are going to take trips to heaven and come back and that God forgot to tell us in his word that heaven is real and fun. So this woman had to go to heaven (laughs) so she could bring the message (laughs) back to us. He forgot that part. (laughs) And uh, I want to tell a couple of things. There is one of those heaven tourism books. It was by a little kid, I think, when it was first written. And he came out later and said, it wasn't true. And mm-hmm. he admitted that his story was false. But I had I actually had a I guess quote unquote near death experience and I, I didn't go to
0: heaven. So sorry <laughs> to <laughs>
1: I'm so disappointed. God didn't give
0: you a message for us. I'm very disappointed. No,
1: no, no message. You Um, said
0: read the Bible.
1: (laughs) I was rushed to the hospital because my potassium was very low. Your heart cannot continue beating without potassium. My body was not holding on to potassium and this caused me to almost lose my life that night and thankfully I was rushed to the hospital and hospitalized for a long time after that. But, um, and in my experiences was very consistent with what science happens at the end of life. I mean, I did, I did, I think hallucinate, um, And I did kind of see a light, but that was it. Like later I was like asking my husband, did you see it? Did you see it? Like, but I didn't even really know. Like it was, I don't know if it's a hallucination or what was going on there, but I did not go to heaven. And I I don't think this is true. I don't think... if you look at any of the heaven tourism books, their description of heaven is not consistent with the word of God. And I, so if we're going to line up these stories with the word of God, we can clearly see that this is contrary to the word of God. It's not what the word of God says heaven is like. And so I think that judging on that alone, being discerning, these are stories we cannot believe.
0: Exactly. Just like all of these things, the test is the word of God. And when it doesn't match, we know that it's not something that we can trust. I just wanted to mention um, before we close, um, just what are we supposed to do when we come across false teaching or when we've identified a false teacher, especially if somebody has a false gospel and a false Christ? Um, I was just thinking about an interaction that you and I had over the past week um, especially coming out of evaluating girl wash your face um we've we've interacted with several people who have have wanted to say, you know, what's really wrong with with just reading this stuff just for fun? Why is that wrong? Why is that a problem? or um I have this favorite teacher that I just really like, but it does sound like they have a false gospel. Why can't I just eat the meat and spit out the bones? I hear that one a lot. And and first of all, a good teacher isn't feeding the flock bones. A good teacher is teaching the flock meat. Bones choke you. And so I just wanted to read a couple of scriptures um, for, uh, that tell us directly from the Word of God what we are supposed to be doing when we identify false te- teaching, especially when we're talking about a false gospel and a false Christ. Um, Romans 16, 17 and 18 says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Okay, And so that, that right there, the essentials that we were talking about earlier is the doctrine that you have been taught. And it says right after that, avoid them. It, it does not say eat the meat, spit out the bones. It does not say eh, read it anyway, just for fun and you'll be fine. It says avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so this is telling us right here why we avoid is because false teachers are smooth talkers. They deceive hearts. They use flattery. It feels good to consume the cotton candy, but it's not good for you. And this is why the Bible tells us to avoid them. And the, and the last one I want to talk about is um, from 2 John. It's verses 7 through 11. Second John is written to a woman whose ministry was um, in opening her home in hospitality to traveling teachers. And so this is written to her, and this is some, some instruction towards the end of the book. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one— That right there was telling you false gospel, false Christ. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. There's that same concept we were talking about, abiding in the teaching of Christ, not going beyond. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So do not receive the false teaching into your home. Do not receive the false. Don't just read it for fun. Don't just think, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll pick out the parts that are good and throw away everything else. This says don't receive them into your house. Don't even wish them a good journey. Avoid. And so I, I feel very strongly about this because um, I do believe that there is a lot of very, very bad teaching that is especially marketed to women, but um, it's in the church in general that, that needs to be left avoided, left and put away completely, not toyed with, not flirted with.
1: And one thing about the passage that you read from Romans 16 and 17 that I think is such an important thing is that we were accused of causing dissension for calling out, girl, wash your face. But that passage really points to it is the one that is teaching the false doctrine that is causing a lack of unity. It's not the one calling out the false doctrine, but the one that is teaching the false doctrine. I think that's really important. But one thing too, in the way that we sometimes approach it, if we have a friend that is being sucked into some of this stuff, Proverbs 15, 4 is one that has been a great encouragement to me because it says a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks breaks the spirit, okay? Sometimes we can come at somebody in such a way that the, the only way they can respond is to be defensive. And I think sometimes when we come at them in an attacking way, their natural response is gonna be to just dig their heels in deeper to that bad doctrine. And that's why it's so important for us to approach it with gentleness. We're encouraged to pursue peace With all men, as much as it is up to us, sometimes we can't have peace because they're a false teacher or they're teaching heresy or proclaiming it. But as much as it is up to us, we need to pursue peace. And we have peace by having agreement on the truth of God's word, but approaching with gentleness and graciousness is far more fruitful than approaching angry and attacking. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely absolutely.
1: There's so many more we could get to. We had so many. I don't think I've had, I had put something in our group. I don't think I've had that many responses on a post in a really long time. I think there was almost 400 responses. So there was no way that we can get to all of them. But what we really wanted to demonstrate is how we can look at something that we see out there and we can Then look to the Word of God and say, is this consistent with the Word of God? There was things in there. Somebody shared a quote in there. It's not one I wrote down, but it really is a good example of something. She told me, have you heard this quote? A lot of Christians are sharing it, and I'd never heard it. So I went and looked it up, and I found out it was from a Buddhist book. And I said, wait, you're saying Christians are sharing this? And she said, yeah, a lot of my Christian friends are sharing it. And so sometimes people don't even realize that Buddhism is completely contrary to Christianity. We should not be sharing Buddhism or quotes from Buddhism as an example to follow for our Christian lives. That That is not good. And we really encourage all of you to be discerning but the most important thing I want you to take away from what we've talked about tonight is the way that you are going to be discerning is by knowing the Word of God. That That is how you can be discerning because you cannot judge truth from error, right from wrong, if you do not know the truth, if you do not know what is right. And even if you're a new Christian and you're new to studying God's Word, that's okay. Look things up. Ask people. If in our group, ask questions we we welcome that you know use a concordance we have something today that's so amazing called google and sometimes <laughs> i will look stuff up but i have several things i'm going to link in today's episode notes uh, tim challies has a a very good article about the book jesus calling i i can't stress enough how much i really really want you to go listen to tyler bella's podcast called discerning the discerners, because it encouraged me so much on my online interactions, how I go about being discerning, how I go about calling out false doctrine when that is necessary for me to do. So I really encourage you to go listen to that podcast. And I uh, I don't think it's that long. I want to, It's less than an hour, maybe 30 minutes. So we appreciate you guys joining us so much. Again, please go check out Sola Gratia, which I'm linking in the episode notes. They, they have some of the best Christian t-shirts that I have seen. They're definitely, definitely consistent with what we do here. And I think they're beautiful. I can't get to wait to get mine. So thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.